Hello everyone, I hope you're having a lovely day wherever you are. My name is Annabelle Lee and welcome to another episode of Talking Classical. I'm sure you're all aware as well that it's only a few days until Christmas and so if you're a little bit fed up of all the commercialism surrounding the big day then I hope that this podcast can provide a nice little antidote to that. And today we're going to be exploring classical music marketing and PR. And in order to delve into this, I was able to meet up with Dr. Marius Carboni. He was formerly at EMI Classics and also the promotions manager at DECA and now runs his own independent PR called Carboni Classical Media. He's also worked with a number of artists and organisations, including Bernard Heitink, the BBC Symphony Orchestra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, and also for BBC Radio 3 and The Proms. He's also the leader for a course in music business at the University of Hertfordshire, and he also lectures on music business at City University. He was awarded a PhD examining the changes in business and marketing models in the classical music industry over the last 20 years from 1989. It's a really fascinating thesis, so I'd urge you all to go and have a little read of it, a little bit of Christmas reading for you to do. Anyway, I met up with Marius on Tuesday and we had a really fascinating conversation. Um, We talked about the functions and the purposes of marketing, what the methodologies are behind a marketing campaign, particularly um, with reference to classical music. And we also talked about audience demographics and what types of media they use and how to market to um, different audience demographics, as well as the influence of social media, technology and where classical music is going in terms of its marketing strategies. So I really hope that you enjoy listening to this conversation. It's a good one. Do you think that you could just start off by just talking a bit about your involvement with classical? I used to be a music teacher when I left university. After three years, and during those three years of teaching, I organised a small chamber music festival in Kent, where I live, in the holiday, and uh, got used to dealing on a much more local level with local newspapers, local radio, publicising the, the uh, events that were taking place. And then I got a job as press officer at DECA. And in my interview, I was up against, um, as it turned out, one other person who'd already done some press, national press, for a record label and myself. And um, so this particular person had far more experience than I did mm-hmm. uh, from dealing with the journalists in general. And I said, well, I am dealing with local press and I'm looking at stories, I'm looking at angles. Um, not just the concert itself. I'm trying to think laterally, if you like. And I'm trying to sell an event, and all things go on with event. Anyway, the long and the short of it is I got the job. Um, and from then, I learned to deal with um, the classical music journalists, which in those days were primarily in uh, not only music magazines, but really there were a lot of them associated with national newspapers. There was no online days. And then I uh, got headhunted to EMI a year later, and then I really built up my marketing and promotion career uh, running the classical press office mm-hmm. there. Did you have any experience of marketing before you, you did that interview? No, uh, sh- short of what I was, um, I'm a clarinetist, no, I was a clarinetist. Okay. Um, uh, Do you still? I conduct a choir, okay. actually, so I'm, I'm still in the music. If you're dealing in the music world, um, and you happen to be a performer, or you're trained as a performer, I think if you're able to find some time to do that, it, it, um, it's very therapeutic. And the other thing is, I think it gives you a, an understanding of 
the musical life, a musician's life, which if you're in the profession itself, but from an administrative perspective, a non-performing perspective, can actually help. So in terms of my own marketing promotion, I've had no training at all. Mm. I just devised my own leaflets, made up my own press releases yeah. to get these concerts going while I was a teacher. And I've built on that ever since, yeah. really. So, so were you really kind of learning on the job? So when I joined Decker, I was learning on the job. I didn't know any of the national classical writers at all. So the first thing my boss at the time said was, right, you need to book up a lunch or a coffee or an early evening drink before these people go to review concerts and get to know them, talk about the Decker product, get them to know you um, and, you know, develop a relationship because yeah. promote, promotion and uh, press and promotion is very different from marketing in the sense what's, that what's the difference the difference is that promotion and press is all about dealing with particularly in press you're dealing with someone you have to persuade someone to talk about interview your artist write about them put a listing in for the concert put a picture in you've got to persuade them to do that and how do you persuade them to do that you've got, you've got to either have a really good wacky picture Okay. You've got to have a good relationship and say, this is really good, we've just signed this artist, or this is a young pianist who's going off on this tour, you know, he is really very good, any mm. chance you could list it. So you've got to use your persuasive powers to do that. Yes. Um, and also, if there's anything else that goes with it, if that particular musician is um, has climbed Kilimanjaro, or something different, or, you know, has a sports car, I mean, something pretty, nothing special really in the long run, but something that's different from music, but they can actually talk about it. My view always is, I always put myself in the view of the press, of the journalist. What is this artist? What, what would persuade me to list this concert, review this concert, write about this concert, against four or five equally good other ones, if not more, and it's always a space issue, but you know, they're gonna go for mine, how, how am I gonna persuade them? I've looked at that for many projects I do, so press is all about dealing with, it's a personal relationship. Marketing is having a vision, having a strategy of what what the musician, what the project uh, should come across as. And with all marketing, you need to know fundamentally, you need to know who is your core consumer. And with any project, you know, you could say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm releasing this jazz album. You know, there are people in their 20s up to their 90s who love blues, jazz. So mm. I've got a huge demographic. How do I go about it? Yeah. And my answer always is, can't promote to all of those people in one go. What you can do is choose a core market. Who are the people that are most likely to listen to it? Look at that demographic and gear all your marketing to that demographic. And once you've established yourself there, then you can broaden it to other other uh, age age brackets mm. um, so it's looking at um, deciding once you've got that target group what does the what are those people between say they're male and female between 35 and 44 suppose that's your core demographic where are they going to buy your music what do they look at online what magazines do they read what type of newspapers do they read uh, where do they get their music news from um, where would they look if there were leaflets given out every if there are posters that are created, where would they notice that poster? And marketing is all about saying, okay, so it's that demographic, it's gonna appeal, the design's got to appeal to that demographic, then either you do the design or you get in a designer that does it for you. So they're very different skills, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, with all press and marketing, you've got to know exactly where you're aiming the project at. 
You've got to know who's going to go to it. Who, who are the fundamentally, who are the people that are going to buy your concert, go to your concert, buy your tickets, buy your album. And then everything else has to revolve around that. That's core for everything uh, with press and marketing. But the, the difference is it's a personal relationship with press and it's a, it's a visual, strategic vision, uh, identity. What's the identity? What's the brand as a marketeer is my product? And then how do I get that to, to the person who's going to be interested in that brand? I feel that there's actually quite a lot of overlap between you know, what the specialists do within the artist agencies or the record companies, but then you also have you know, the PR firms who are they're doing a, a similar sort of thing, or are the, are the two, do they have different functions? I mean, it is a different function. So an agent uh, is fundamentally someone who has contacts all around the world, contacts in concert halls, at festivals, live venue events, where they want to get the musicians that are on their books a date mm. to perform. And if they do well, then they hope they'll be invited back the following year or whenever to do to do another one, maybe more than one. It's a bit of a role, and it's a very important role. And they look at the strategy, and an agent stroke manager will look at the strategy, the long-term strategy for a musician. Mm-hmm. What sort of repertoire are they doing? Should they branch out into some sort of contemporary music? Should they go, they're Baroque, should they go into Renaissance? Mm-hmm. Should they look at modern instrumentation? Should they look at original instrumentation? Do they keep to the piano? Do they think, well, actually, maybe I'm interested in knowing much early music. Maybe I have to look at the forte piano. All those sorts of questions, career questions, which you're developing someone's career. That's what an artist manager, an artist agent does. It tends to be the bigger agencies will have their own publicist. Other ones will do as much as they can themselves in the time limit. And others will bring in um, independent companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can either have, so some, some of the much bigger artists will have their own publicists. The yes. bigger artists, will, we use the press office of the record label to generally generate PR through the music they're recording and releasing and get, um, and I used to do a lot when I worked at EMI. Mm. I used to do a lot of, uh, obviously I was promoting EMI's recordings of the musicians we, were, we uh, yes. were on our books. But that also led to publicizing the concerts because the album was coming out at the time they were performing, talking to journalists about, talking about the festival as well as the, as well as the concerts and so on. So there's an overlap between a press officer's job at a record company and say a press officer's job for an agency mm. or, a, or an individual musician. The skill of an agent is very different from the skill of a publicist, which is very different from the skill of a marketeer, which is very different from the skill of a fundraiser. Different skills, they all come together mm. for the musician yes. or the orchestra yes. or the opera, mm. but they are all highly skilled but in, in their own individual way. Yes. And the same with, I've been asked in the past, would you be my agent as well as do PR, would you? So I said, no, because I haven't got those contacts. I've got contacts in the media world, but I haven't got contacts in to slip you into a festival or get, or, or to, because it's all about personal relationships. You want to ring up someone in a hall and say, I've got this artist, just won this competition or um, been established for three years, just bringing out a recording. Could you give them a concert in your in your series next year? Because if they trust you, and they think, okay, well, we could fit you in. They're not going to. So I've got to have that trust, and I don't know those people, and it's a completely different yeah. skill. Is there is there a lot of selling that goes on? You know, when you're meeting those sorts of people. If you're a publicist, you're selling your artist. You're selling your music project. Yeah. If you're, if you're a publicist, press officer for a, a major label for any label, 
It could be a blogger. It could be a reviewer for you know for the for a newspaper. It could be someone in the BBC Music Magazine. You know, it's a gramophone. You could say you're saying to them, "Can you review this recording? This is the next one that's coming out. Yeah. You, know, you know how well the last one did. How about it?" So if you want to say, "Okay, X has brought out this," or we just signed this wonderful new composer, any chance for you writing about it? So it's it's a selling. Similarly to a music agent who is selling to a concert hall or a festival director, they're selling their artist mm-hmm. and say, "Look, we think this artist." will be really good for your festival. We think you'll do well selling tickets for it because it's a two-way process. Mm, mm. Um, and we think they'll, you know, you, you'll, uh, it, it's successful, it should be a successful for project for both of us. They're all separate skills. Yeah. And that's often, often forgotten about, actually. Mm. Um, in a way, the agent stroke the manager manages it. They're the centre because they are saying, okay, so they're looking long term. What's our five year plan for this particular musician uh, or this particular venue or this particular festival? And so we're going to move in this direction. We need people, we need other artists to get to move with us. We need to start talking about what type of different marketing we're going to do. So you may have a, a, a successful festival and the director thinks, well, actually, we, we, we've got a pretty good database from 50 year olds onwards we'd like to you know get more 40 to 50 year olds to come that means a slight maybe a slight change of artist repertoire maybe a slight certainly a change in in uh, marketing how are we going to get to those people um are we going to change the design is the color Mm. of our website appealing enough i mean all that sort of stuff yeah um so it's it's uh it's it's a skill Um, but as i said at the beginning it fundamentally all of this slots into who is going to go to your concert, um, who's going to buy your music, and that is the and that's not just the classical industry; it's any any genre. Yeah. And when you know who you're going for in terms of a target market mm-hmm. to establish yourself, then the marketing, the PR, the repertoire it, uh, goes is is geared by that. Wigmore Hall is it? Mm-hmm. Classic example, I mean, over the last few years or so, you know, it's been making that real effort, hasn't it, to bring in younger audiences mm-hmm. through its marketing materials mm-hmm. and, you know, digital media, live streaming, all of that. I think you, you call them the premier um, chamber music ensemble, probably in Europe, actually, not just um, in the yeah. UK. Any artist in the chamber music field uh, wants to play there. They've mm-hmm. got this core audience that will just go. Yeah. And what they've done, you're quite right, over the last few years, they've kept that audience, and that actually is always a challenge. And what they've done is, is not alienated the core audience. Mm. You know, I've known music organisations in the past which have decided they need to get a younger audience and gone different marketing, different approach, different people, uh, different front people, and uh, they've been moderately successful in getting a new audience, but they have lost their core audience. Mm. And suddenly they've got no core audience to rely on. Mm. Um, and a marketing skill is being able to broaden your market without losing your, your, your loyal customer base. Once you lose that, things go wrong. And if you've got nothing to fall back on, because mm. it'll take, take many years for a core audience to become your loyal audience yeah. and you can lose them in a drop, drop of a hat so you know, yeah. it takes a long time to get them back so, so who would you say is the um, you know the main audience for classical music at the moment is it still you know that very kind of traditional base or expanding to younger audiences or 
It is expanding. These IFPI figures, taken from a 2018 uh, yearbook, which is covers all of 2017. Yeah. Looking at the age group here, and this covers all the genres, pop, rock, dance, soundtrack, film, hip-hop, rap, mm-hmm. name it. Classical and opera, the biggest age group, is 55 to 64, followed by 45 to 54. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes down 35 to 44. If you're looking at core opera, core classical works, you would be thinking, okay, the biggest groups, 55 to 64 and 45 to 54. So what media do those people look at? Some will still look at physical music magazines. They still take a subscription out for, for, a, for a copy and get it delivered every month. Others won't look at music magazines, but look at other um, uh, online news programs, kind of like all music programs or music uh music um, music media mm. so you have to make you as your organizer or as the person putting this on has to decide how am i going to split my device is it going to be advertising is it going to be a5 leaflets is it going to be inserts am i going to look at um, and again you look at radio you look at tv where there's not much classical music on tv but you know that as well as i do what's the radio i look at um, advertising for example on Classic FM is it that sort of audience I want to get mm-hmm. do I try and get my album on record review on Radio 3 do I get it as composer of the week if it's a composer you're talking about and so on there are a lot of outlets that you look at and you're looking at that audience if my audience turns out to be 16 to 24 and 25 to 34 then for classical and opera mm-hmm. um, then which is you know in this case it's not for rock and pop I would be looking at looking at not a lot of physical product I would be looking at social media digital. and doing a lot of digital stroke social media mm-hmm. um, and focusing on that and saying, right, where am I going? Which social media? Are they tweeting? Are they on Instagram? Are they posting on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're not doing that and they ought to do that, then obviously you can help them do that because it's quite difficult to do actually to write them. Sort Very of... time consuming as well. Absolutely. Again, it's an art form. It really is. Because you want to take people with you, you want to talk about the music, you want to talk about it in an engaging way, mm-hmm. you want to talk about your day or the travel or something that happened to you that was interesting the other day. <laughs> and what you're actually doing is you're trying, you're building up a following. Yeah. And that following, that loyalty, uh, which they will then follow you and then give you, always go to your concerts, buy your music because they, they're followers of you. Mm-hmm. Um, same in the pop world. Um, there's yeah. no difference. The way you look at it um, would be different. I mean, for years people have said, you know, classical music is dying out. Um, and it seems to me that primarily it's an older generation that go to classical music and become interested in classical music concerts at a later age and stick with it. Yeah. And this seems to be an evolving process. So, you know, we, there are lots of modern technology um, that, that classical organisations use. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's broader than it's ever been, but fundamentally, the core market is really 50, 45, 50 onwards. Yeah. Um, and that's where you, you go for, for the bulk of your marketing, depending on the project, of course. Mm. Um, and then you you know, you know see what else you can, you can bring with yeah. you. Yeah. And I guess that's also because of the values of classical music as well, and also it's a generational thing, I think. As that well, is a generational it? thing, and I agree with you. I think, I mean, I'm, it's different for me, of course, I was always interested in classical media, but yeah. I look at my friends who are in their late 40s, early, mid 50s, who have never been remotely interested in classical music, um, and I've known them for 20 years or longer, and um, they are now interested, curious about classical music. Yeah. They listen to Classic FM. Yeah. They'll listen to King's Cambridge Christmas Eve. They might go to an opera, might go to ENO. Yeah. 
Um, and they're, they're experimenting, they start doing that. They've got a bit more time. And they still like classical, still like pop music, still like jazz, still yeah. like what they used to. And I've seen this in friends, in my own, own friends. And this is why it's it's almost self-generating in, in a weird way. Um, yeah. If it wasn't, classical music truly would have gone under mm. years ago when everyone was predicting it would go under and it, it's still here. Yeah, and, and people's uh, tastes, I guess, they mature with age, don't they? I mean, you know, what you liked in your 20s may not necessarily be... Absolutely. A lot do seem to move into uh, some form of classical music. Yeah. So I think it's it's it will carry on in that way. I think what the classical music industry is, it's very in- innovative mm-hmm. in the way that it markets and promotes itself. You know, you have the YouTube orchestra, you have the virtual reality yes. uh, Philharmonia project, mm. you've got, um, here's the orchestra, the age of enlightenment, you know, a wacky picture of people all dressed in different shapes and clothes. What they're trying to get across and say, we we are um, applicable, we're open to any and every, whether you're a type of person, whether you're in your 20s and riding a bike, whether you're a father or a mother or granny, doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, and so, they, uh, the industry has always been really sharp in the way that it markets itself, mm. um, to its broader market, modernise itself. But do, do you think though that, you know, the growth of technology and because, you know, just like pop musicians are using social media, the classical music industry realises, oh, actually, this is where our audiences are and therefore we need to use those technologies in order to capture those audiences? I think fundamentally, yes. And most of them do. Um, some don't because their their audience just isn't interested in that. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not performing to their their, their core market is not is more traditional for want of a better phrase. So mm-hmm. they don't look online for their for what's going on. They, yeah. they don't interact with social media. They read the newspapers. Mm-hmm. They read a music magazine. They're on a mailing list of an organisation. They get a brochure in the post. Uh, or the orchestra sends them the brochure they're on their mailing list, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and they get their material from there. Um, so the Talis scholars, for example, do not stream. They do not, um, they rarely use social media because they say their core audience just isn't, they don't reach their core audience through that, those mediums. Whereas the 16 um, blogs, they travel a lot. And when they travel, they write diaries. Yeah. Um, and they use social media so Harry Christmas yeah. uses social the, the late Signum label um, which uh, sign a load of artists um, they have um, a guide to how to use social media and they yeah. actually help you they say look we think social media is really important it's slightly different streaming but I'll come to that in a minute they say we we think it's really important to interact with the potential audience through social media yes. if you're not sure how to do it or you're uncomfortable with doing it or you don't know how to write it what to say all that we will do it for you. And okay. that happens all the time. Yeah. You know, it happens in politicians. I mean, Theresa May, well, Donald Trump, you know, does his own, but Theresa May <laughs> has as much time to do her own. There is an organisation and she's got staff that do that. Absolutely, the classical industry has taken technology and is using it um, and is very overt in using it. But not all, not all use it um, because they are, because it just depends on who they are targeting to and who yeah. they are marketing to. Is it necessary for artists 
to be on social media. I think sometimes, you know, it's a little bit obvious, you know, when, you know, maybe if, you know, their messages have been kind of PR driven or something like that. Um, you've got to be inventive. You've got to be interesting. You mustn't come across as showing off. You need to be humorous. Um, and ultimately what you're doing is saying, and actually I'm an extremely nice person and I've got a fabulous concert coming up. <laughs> and that's ultimately what it's all about. Yeah. Or my next album is out next month or please will you buy it? Yeah. Um, and some people are very good at doing it. Tasman Little is brilliant at doing that. Okay. Esa Becca Sandlin is very good. There are a number of artists that are very good and have got, a, they've got the, they know how to do it. Mm. Um, and I don't criticise those that don't know how to do it because it is a skill. Yeah. In which case, it takes time, doesn't it? To... It does. So you need a publicist or you need someone to do it for you. It's managing the tone that the publicist or whoever is writing your tweet or doing your blog, that they they get you correct. That it's the sort of thing that you would say, you would write, if it was you actually writing it, yeah. someone writing it on your behalf. And that's quite difficult. So there's an art to it. Yeah. Um, but they do use it. And they sh my view is the more social media interaction, the better any musician because you can have established artists. So, you know, a musician, they want to give their, they want to show their musicianship to as many people as possible. You know, when people go to a concert, it isn't only people 50, 55 onwards. Yeah. There may be two thirds of the audience, but there are a heck of a lot that are under that age group. And so they want to reach out to them mm -hmm. because they want them to come to more of their concerts, come to more of their, uh, go to a tour of theirs, buy their recordings and so on mm. and maybe invest in recording that generation deals with social media it's life is all about media they're looking at the media it's the Instagram and selfie generation yes. isn't it What's so if you can be there and be part of that there is a chance you're going to reach to that audience and if you've got someone who's interested in that particular genre of music and this doesn't just apply to classical to say you know, it applies to all genres mm. if you've got someone interested in a particular genre of music and they notice this legend of an artist, yeah, yeah. and they think, "Oh, that's a really that's really funny because he yeah. said or she said that." You know, you're gonna, oh, I'm gonna follow them, and then you get hopefully yeah. you become a bit of a follower, a bit of a loyal member. You might go, "If I'm gonna go to this, this this is he really, this is really wacky. I'm gonna go to this," yeah. and you want to, and you get in the habit of it. That's yeah. so. My view is yes. The more social interaction, because you're. Social media is all about building, the following side of it is you are, you are creating a fan base in pop parlance. You're, you're creating a group of people who, come what may, uh, will, will follow you. Not just geographically, <laughs> but actually follow you online. They will say, so if you say, I'm changing my uh, style of writing, I'm going to become more rock, I'm okay. going to become more bluesy, I'm going to become more middle of the road. Yeah. Um, you want to take, you want to, you need a core audience because you, you're starting again almost mm. musically. So you want to take your core audience with you and say, come with me because I'm not, it's not a million miles away from what I was doing before. This is how I am developing my musicianship and I want you to enjoy it as much as you've enjoyed my musicianship from before. And they come with you, hopefully. And that's what it, what social media and what online media activity is all about. Mm. Building that fan base. Taking, taking them with you. When you go off or when you're doing something new or something different, you, you know you've got a core base that will probably buy it, probably go to it, and then you can focus on, okay, I've got them, now I need to get to an audience. If I'm, going to, if I'm broadening my 
musicianship to a different style within that genre and it's going to appeal to a different age group how am I going to get hold I've got this core audience I need to take with me and I need to build mm. this new market new core base yes and one opportunity of doing that is doing it online mm. certainly genuinely and how do you see the future of classical music marketing I think there'll always be space for um, hard copies of music magazines there will always be yeah, let me give you an example. So when the Kindle was launched, I remember everyone saying this was the death knell of the bookshop. Oh, because yes. people actually, and the books, yeah. and books, because people won't bother with books anymore. Because yeah. they have it all on this screen. Yes. Much more convenient, which is true. Yeah. Um, but they won't go to they won't buy books. They won't go to bookstores. Therefore, bookstores are going to really come a cropper mm. and they're going to do that. And of course, that hasn't happened. There's been a sort of correlation between there being a side-by-side -side yeah growth, actually definitely um and people like the feel they like the um the idea of payment ownership there's yeah. a sort of um, not against a kindle but there are both sides mm. so i leave it like that now in the music industry um in the last few years the number of independents i'm slightly widening the conversation but i'll come back to your point in a minute That's okay the number of independent stores that have opened uh, there's been a rise in the number of independent stores that have opened it's a symptom of, um, and I'm not saying physical is going to be here forever, physical products are going to be here forever, but it's a symptom of traditional ways of buying music side by side with the accepted view of buying music or bought by You either stream it, you buy the CD online, or you download it. And But both are going, and there's been a rise in it, and it's actually people thinking a bit like the bookshops. So, independent stores, where people are in there, they've got a passion for whatever the music is. And you're passionate about your area of music and you go in mm. and you learn about it and you may buy one, you may buy two albums and so on. You still listen online, it's a mix. You still listen online, you still stream, you might buy stuff online, you might still download. Um, but you also like the idea of going to a store. Um, yeah. And that is that is cross-generational at the moment. Yeah. Um, and classical industry has always been innovative in the way that it markets, the way it sells itself the way it's had to adapt ever since probably certainly when at my lifetime I remember the 1980s when Mrs Thatcher and the Conservatives were in power um, and they said basically it's a free market mm. less reliance on the state mm. we're cutting all these subsidies to all these organisations one of which was the Arts Council mm. um, certainly most organisations were being um, they're commercial mm. uh, but they had to be really innovative with their um, work with their campaigns because yes. they have far less state money coming in mm -hmm. how are they going to get their audience how are they going to market how are they going to manage it how are they going to fundraise get sponsorship for these concerts and so on mm -hmm. and it has developed in my view it's developed since the early 80s when it was sort of almost forced upon the industry mm -hmm. um, and not just the not just classical but um, the arts in general and they've had to develop even further those skills which they have done and that was my conversation with Dr. Marius Carboni. I'd love to know what you thought of that. So please feel free, if you would like to, to leave a comment below in SoundCloud, or you can send me a message on social media, on Twitter or Facebook. The Twitter handle is Classy Podcast, and you can also visit the Talking Classical website, which is talkingclassical.wordpress.com. Join me in the new year for some more podcasts. And let me tell you, I have got some great guests lined up for next year. Please have a little listen. Um, 
from around mid-January when the new episodes will be starting off for next year. I've got a feeling that they're going to be really good ones. All that leaves me to say is have a very lovely Christmas break and I hope that you'll be able to join me in the new year.